The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Hey, Rockheads. Honk if you love peace and quiet. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Lawrence Ryan announcing show number 396 with guests Miguel Castro, Todd Anglin, Sean Wildemuth, Steve Smith, and co-host Mark Dunn. Recorded live Monday, October 13, 2008. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. And now offering SharePoint 2007 video training with Sahil Malik on DVD, DNR TV style. Order your copy now at www.franklins.net. Support is also provided by Telerik, combining the best in Windows forms and ASP.NET controls with first-class customer service. Online at www.telerik.com. And by Data Dynamics. Makers of ActiveReports.net, simple, powerful, and cost-effective reporting for Windows Forms and ASP.NET Web applications. Online at www.datadynamics.com. Support is also provided by Code Magazine, the leading independent magazine for .NET developers. Online at www.code-magazine.com. And now, the man who used to be indecisive, but now he's not sure... Carl Franklin. Thirty-nine speakers in my living room. Hey, Bulgaria! Welcome to .NET Rocks. Yeah! This is the biggest crowd I've ever seen. There must be thousands of them. I'm Carl Franklin. Welcome to .NET Rocks. I'm in Sofia, Bulgaria. Richard, sadly, is not here. He's uh, home being a hedonist in Canada, goofing off, slacking on the job. No, that's not true. He actually couldn't come. Something came up. But uh, I'm going to carry the weight myself here, and we have an esteemed panel. We're going to talk about the future of web programming, uh, starting with Mr. Miguel Castro down on the end of the table. Why don't you introduce yourself just briefly to the people, and we'll get going. Hello, everybody. Again, I've seen so many people here all day. It's great. Um, my name is Miguel Castro, one of the speakers here, and uh, Carl World friends. We've done .NET Rocks together before, and it's awesome to be here. I uh, had no idea this thing was about web web technology because I'm not really too good at that. Yeah, I heard. Yeah, not too good. Uh, so Miguel is being funny, of course. Um, I first met Miguel. They do have a sense of humor. I they found that do. out today. They I definitely know. do. Um, when I first met Miguel, he was sending me source code for creating ASP.NET web controls, which at the time was probably the most difficult thing you could possibly do in ASP.NET. And uh, he, I knew he had the chops, and um, we've been friends ever since. 
Todd? Hello to people. I'm Todd Anglin, and I'm another speaker here at DevReach and also Telerik's chief evangelist, so uh, also part of the company helping put on this year's event. And I think we were actually here last year in a panel, so I talked to you guys last year, talked to you last year, Carl, yep. so it's going to be fun to do it again right. in Bulgaria, Bulgarian style. Yes, Bulgarian style. Todd, uh, also a good friend, as he said, and uh, in the ASP.NET space very heavily with Telerik and Telerik's controls. Sean, go ahead and tell us about Well, yourself. my name is Sean Wildermuth. I'm a, also a speaker here. This is my first DevReach. I'm really excited. Uh, I talk and do stuff about data and Silverlight. I run the Silverlight tour, so um, hopefully I can lend some of the, the rich internet application to talk to this uh, Panel. And you're you're very cutting edge when it comes to Silverlight. You're the first person I email when whenever I want to know what's the latest story on something <laughs> that's shipping or whatever. I know I can get a straight answer from Sean. Steve Smith. Hi everybody. My name is Steve Smith. Um, this is my first time speaking at DevReach and my first time to Bulgaria. And I, so far, I love the country. Um, so I'm very honored to have been invited to come and speak at this conference. Um, I run ASPAlliance.com and also a uh, online advertising network specifically for .NET developers called Lake Quincy Media. And Telerik is one of our customers. We help them promote their, their products to developers so that they'll sell more licenses and hopefully put on more great events like this one. And uh, Steve was the winner of the Speaker Idol Contest at TechEd uh, last year. Not this, past, not this year, but the year before. It's uh, like, a, like Pop Idol or American Idol. <laughs> except that you get five minutes to do a presentation and impress the judges. And uh, out of all of the people who competed all week long, Steve won with an, a killer demo of how caching your page for one second, and not ten seconds, one second, will have a dramatic effect when there's a high, uh, when there's a high pressure on the SQL server. Really dramatic effect. He had graphs and everything. It was five, the best five-minute demo we've ever seen. <laughs> so we're here to talk about the future. Of course, uh, I'm going to ask each of you to sort of put your future hats on in a minute. But I suppose maybe we should talk about what you thought, where you thought we would be by now. You know, let's uh, let's back it up a little ways to the beginning of ASP.NET. And when you look down the road, did you ever think? that you'd have the tools that you have, that you'd be developing stuff as easily uh, as, as you are now? What's your, what's your thoughts about where we are now? I, I, think, I think that when, when I first got started with ASP.NET, coming, coming from the classic ASP background, um, the, 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 road path, the, the road, the pathway to where web development was going to go, I think became a little more predictable, a little more evident because of, of, of the drastic step that I saw in how ASP.NET revolutionized what I used to be able to do in classic ASP. To answer your question about, you know, do you think we are where we should be today or something like that? I think in certain things regarding Ajax, for example, um, it was a natural evolution. I, I feel that with Ajax, we probably are exactly where I thought we would be. Yeah. Um, a lot of that technology I'm still learning. Self-admittedly, I've, I've been involved in so many different things besides ASP.NET now. I'm no longer specializing in just ASP.NET. But, um, but I, I do think that we're in a place where I predict that we would be. With more advanced technologies like what Sean's a specialist at, Silverlight, that completely blew me away. Mm. Silverlight, to me, I don't know about you guys. I'll, I'll be happy to admit Silverlight, to me, came out of left field as far as, holy cow, where, where did this come from? Yeah, you know, nobody we, ever thought we'd have .NET yeah, browser. Exactly. What we, used to, what we used to be able to see only with competitor technologies, you know, the F word, right? Uh, <laughs> um, I didn't expect to see such a good job done in such little time. 
um, and they and they pulled it off. And that's one technology that, like you, I go to Sean for if I need help with because I haven't really grokked it yet. Yeah. So that one kind of blew me away. For the most part, in ASP, I like I like where we're going. Um, we're going to talk about NBC later. Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I like where we're going uh, with the, with general ASP and the Ajax stuff, definitely. Yeah, and in terms of in tacking on to what you just said there, you know, what what did we expect to be, and is this where we expect to be? I'd have to agree completely. This is really when ASP.NET one and one one was out, and we moved into two. It was really sort of where I thought we'd be. I, I don't feel like we were missing something. I don't feel like we uh, haven't caught up something. Frankly, maybe we're a little ahead of where I thought we'd be in terms of what the framework provides. And talking about MVC and Silverlight, I think that, if anything, is just what I didn't expect. I didn't expect to be in 2008 and have not just ASP.NET, but three different options, maybe two and a half different options <laughs> for developing for Microsoft web platforms. I really am surprised about that. But I don't feel like we're behind, and it's really pretty much, I think, the road a lot of developers felt sure, we traveled sure. down. A ASP 2.0 to me was and I don't want this to sound negative because it's not, was completely predictable. Every feature that I felt ASP.NET yeah. 1.1 was missing that I said to myself, I either got to write this or somebody at Microsoft has to write this. I wish it could do this, actually came out in 2.0. Sure. Well, uh, you know, I'll be the, uh, the negative guy here. I, I, I don't think we're near where I would expect us to be. I mean, we're still writing for the most part. We've got some great framework. We're still writing JavaScript in the browser. And obviously, spending a lot of time in Silverlight, maybe my world is skewed there, but I never thought when I came from kind of the classic ASP background, like most of us did, that we'd still be spending so much time trying to get around browser ubiquity and problems of different platforms in the browser. That is still so much more pain than I expected. Now, is that because you're working with Silverlight and Ajax, which is typically, you know, the tools haven't really caught up on the client side yet, or, do, or is it because... Uh, that, you know, the stuff that gets rendered by ASP.NET still has problems with multiple browsers? Well, it's not just rendering. It's also the programming model, the, the differences between the DOMs. I think that I think the problem here isn't ASP.NET. I think the problem is that we're still, we're in a 15-year browser war. Okay. And so, um, you know, if you look at something like Safari on Windows and, and PC, and, and Mac and PC, being different even in the same browser space. Same with Firefox, same with IE. So the browser war is coming back, in other words. I don't think it ever went away. I yeah. think we all learned to live with the pain of if Gecko, else if IE. Well, it wasn't part of the ASP.NET framework to help us, uh, you know, to handle those issues. And server side, yes. Doesn't server it? Side, server yes. side, yes. But you know what? To, to what Sean is saying, I mean, I, I though we dis we disagree on on, on the fun the fundamentals. Um, I, I agree with what you're saying as far as like the pain in the butt about writing JavaScript and things like that. But the very the very essence of of the core of of, of what HTTP is is always going to keep that strict separation between the client and the server, and that's where that general pain in the ass is. Well, and we're talking about browser differences, and we talked about what did, where did we expect to be. I mean, as soon as a browser version come out, comes out, it doesn't go away. So even if we had everybody come on the same page today, you know, that doesn't mean we're going to get great browser support tomorrow. It's going to be the same browser we have to support. And fortunately, ASP.NET Ajax makes this easier. It helps yeah, solve somewhat. the client side right. of this equation. Steve, what do you think? I think uh, well, I agree mostly with Miguel. I think a lot of things are about where they ought to be. I agree that the browser is still a huge pain to work with. One of the things that I'm a little bit disappointed with in ASP.NET's evolution is that when it first shipped, they had all these controls that came with it. And then with 2.0 and with some other things, when they're shipping previews, they were shipping all this cool stuff that was going to add to that. And they were going to like add counters and add charts and add menus and add other things. And we've got a menu, but it's, you know, a lot of that stuff never materialized. So I'm a little disappointed that there's not a richer control model, but I think that Microsoft has made a conscious decision that they're going to provide the basics in the framework and they're going to leave it to third-party vendors 
to do a lot of the richer things. But even and, with that and said, we appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> even with that said, one thing I really wish they would fix is the calendar control because that is just nasty. They need like yeah. something, some updates. But there's so many, many there's so many alternatives. There, there's so many alternatives with third party. I mean, I've always yeah. found that one of Microsoft's strengths was always its relationship with its partners. Uh, I, I'm probably in the minority when I say I, I sometimes I think Microsoft's getting into too many things and leave a lot of things to the third parties. I actually enjoy the gaps that Microsoft leaves in their products so people like Telerik can come in and fill in those gaps. People like me can come in and fill in these gaps. Sometimes I feel they're, they may be conquering a little too much. Sure. I want to I see somebody else's product come in and fill this gap, not just a Microsoft solution. Well, that's your, obviously your interest. You think that's the interest of the market as well? You think that the, the, the developers out there really want to see a lot of competition among uh, vendors? Um, I think developers always appreciate choices, but see, there's two sides of it. I mean, I, and it's almost a 50-50 split, and I'm a consultant, so I'm out in the field on a regular yeah. basis, and I see really 50-50. I see developers that, that like to, if it has the label Microsoft on it, they consider it the Bible, and this is what we're going to go with. So if Microsoft is not doing it, they're not going to use that technology. And you have exactly for, the opposite. For those, yeah. then it's good that Microsoft's getting into all the fanciness that third parties used to control. Right, right, right. Because those people will never get the chance. And a lot of it, it's not just because they're, you know, for lack of a better term, Kool-Aid drinkers. It's because they have budget issues in the company. The companies don't want to spend money purchasing Telerik suite for 50 developers. They want only the Microsoft stuff because they have an MSDN suite. At the same time, there are the other side of developers that like the choices, that like the ability... You know, that, that, I mean, third parties have actually shown tremendous, tremendous brilliance in a lot of these, in filling in a lot of these gaps that Microsoft has left open. And not to say that Microsoft doesn't have that brilliance, because I'm sure they definitely have the talent, but it's just so nice to see a refreshing type of, uh, of, of look into uh, uh, finding a solution to a problem, as opposed to just the way they do it in Redmond. That's where companies like Telerik or other third parties really, I think, shine. And I, I personally don't want to see that go away. I enjoy seeing the third parties. Uh, you know, seeing third parties compete with each other is a fantastic thing because it just makes better and better products. Yeah. Are we having a problem with the mic? No, no. Go ahead. And from the third party perspective, I mean, it's not a bad thing to have Microsoft introduce basic controls. I mean, really, right. that's what Microsoft does. Is they introduce baseline and then so third party one. enriches it and goes, and goes beyond that. So, you know... Viewed as competition, you know, let Microsoft introduce the basics, and that works for a lot of people. When you need more advanced things, the third party will still be there, and we'll just evolve and innovate beyond what <laughs> continues to come out. And I think the ASP.NET AJAX Control Toolkit is a good example of that. And as that continues to expand, of you know, sort of even richer than what's come out before in ASP.NET, but still not rich enough if you have a very complicated application. So there's still room for third parties. I don't think Microsoft will box out third parties with their approach. So far, we, we've talked about ASP.NET. Let's talk about developer experience. How do you think, where do you think we are in terms of developer experience for the web? I mean, you, you hear, I never did Cold Fusion, but you certainly heard a lot of, you know, negativity from Cold Fusion developers who are so used to the sort of drag and drop, boom, 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 ging, ging, and everything's up and running. Uh, we have, we have uh, application frameworks. We have like .NET nukes and SharePoints and things that do that same sort of stuff. But where do you think we are in terms of general tools for, for web development? Uh, well, with respect to, to the, the, the king of all tools, Visual Studio, I mean, I, I have absolutely no complaints. I, still, yeah. uh, I, I honestly can't understand why anybody would want to code with any other IDE for web yeah. development other than Visual Studio. 
And yeah. I know people do it. And not only that, there's been a couple of third-party vendors out there that have gone the route of writing their own IDEs for this kind of stuff. And I yep. really don't get it. Yep. Visual Studio gives me everything I need. It, it's a tool that just keeps on, it keeps on getting better and better. So as far as developer experience and promoting developer productivity for doing web development, um, for the most part, I just don't think it gets any, any, any better. I, I look forward to every version of Visual Studio just to see what else can they possibly come up with. Todd? I, oh, okay. I'll pass. I'll make my comment quick and pass I, it down. Sure. Uh, but really, I think we're in a weird place with developer experience because we see a lot of new de- developer experiences and some old ones coming back. And I'm referencing, of course, MVC. Mm-hmm. You know, we've been in this experience now for the last five years of everything just drags and drops and it, state gets handled for us automatically. We don't want to see code. We just want to see markup. And now we're sort of going back a little bit more towards seeing more code and having more control. So Visual Studio, great. I, I agree completely. Great tool. Design time, eh, still kind of weak in my opinion. I, I'm personally yeah. a, a code view coder. I'll use IntelliSense, but mm-hmm. those people that use design time, it's still a weak experience. So I don't know. I mean, it's good. It's the best out there, but there's probably still room to go for people who don't like using the IntelliSense approach to coding. Well, the, the, to my problem with Visual Studio in this space, and it may not be purely developer, because for coding, I agree with Miguel. I think Visual Studio is a great experience for developers creating code, writing lines of code. I think the problem this falls down on the web space is that most organizations don't have developers designing pages. And today, the experience hmm. of designers coming in, doing mock-ups in, uh, in their design tools, or if you're lucky, HTML um, wireframes, and then that integration into a server-side technology like ASP.NET is a painful experience, especially along the life cycle of a project because the designer goes back and says, I've added you know, a, a one-pixel image in here to move this over a tiny bit. Please in- reintegrate my entire um, <laughs> HTML wireframe. Yeah, and you there. see sure. in some other technologies, you see in the Adobe space this is happening and certainly in Silverlight space where they're bringing in tools where designers and developers can work better together. And Expression Web is not that tool. We need that tool in the ASP.NET space. I've been yelling that for about a year and a half because someone, I don't care whether it's Microsoft or someone else, someone needs to build that tool that says designers can come in, make their changes to the design, and when they hit a five, they're running it with the code that the developer next to them is working with. How about it, Telerik? I like, uh, I'll address it. In a <laughs> <laughs> I, I agree that Visual Studio is awesome to work with. and in, in a few previous versions, it was clunky. And some things were really painful, like working with JavaScript and client-side stuff. And with 2008, that's been way, way better. I still have a, a small list of things I really want them to fix. Like when I say add reference, I shouldn't have to wait for 30 seconds while it looks through all my com objects. To <laughs> Only 30 seconds? Yeah. So, you know, the fact that his laptop? I've got little things like that that are annoying me, but I can really do everything We, we all do, definitely. You know, that's, yeah. that's, uh, that says a lot about it. And one of the things that's really great about it is the extensibility model because oh, you absolutely. can uh, have third-party tools plug into it, and there's a, a rich market for those as well. So you have things like uh, ReSharper and CodeRush and such. Um, and a hundred other free ones you can just add in and extend it to suit your needs. Yeah. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik who bring you this special message. What's more important for your web applications? High performance on the server or on the client? How about footprint, number of server requests? There are so many potential bottlenecks that can drag your application performance, and of course, there is no universal solution for them. The good news is the guys from Telerik understand the complexity of that problem. When building their UI components, they isolate every probable source of performance loss. Then they apply a respective solution for different products, different scenarios, and even different browsers. The techniques vary dramatically. 
As a result, you, the developer, receive out-of-the-box, highly reliable components that are optimized in every aspect of their behavior. I'm sure you'll be interested to learn more about the various performance-boosting techniques for web applications. Just go to Telerik.com slash top performance for details and live demos. Well, uh, Mark Dunn has just joined us. Hi, Mark. Hey, Carl. It's good to have you here. Yeah, it's good to be here. I was looking around downstairs for you guys. Mark, are you oh, excited? I'm excited to be here. I'll have to think <laughs> about just how excited that is <laughs> later, but I'll, I'll come up with something for you. Well, what do you think about all this? I mean, we're talking sort of about the the future of, of uh, web development, and we've gotten halfway there. We've talked about the ASP.NET. Uh, w- is it where we thought it was going to be when ASP.NET came out? Is it there now? And, it, and what's the developer experience like? So, I don't know. What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, actually, uh, I, I sort of agree with Miguel. I'm impressed with where things are. I think Visual Studio is a great tool. I hear what Sean's saying, too. Uh, you know, I, I want to ask, you know, Sean would have a better opinion about this than me, but don't you think expression blend and expression design may become the tools that you're, you're looking for? with the synchronization between them and Visual Studio one day. I'm not saying they're there today, sure. but you know, I'm I'm looking into the future. Potentially I, could they get there? They could. I think Blend will always be more of a XAML editor, but I think in the expression suite will be that tool. I'm not a big fan. I I think anybody who's heard me talk much about it, I'm not a big fan of design at all, so I won't really talk about that. Yeah. But I I think if they could take and rip the product out design. Just the expression, expression design, design tool yeah. itself. Yeah. Um, but if they could take the guts of what they have in Expression Web today, because there's some good stuff in there, and really integrate it with the ASP.NET model so we could really open up project files and not have to open up just ASPX pages, edit them, and hope that when the developer gets them that it still compiles, that's the sort of integration that would solve a lot of that. What I sort of hear you guys saying, and uh, you guys can validate or renege this if you can, if you want, but uh, you know, from the guys who are, are, are the hardcore coders like Miguel and Mark, and, and I... I sort of fall in there. You know, I use IntelliSense a lot. I use the, uh, I don't use a lot of designers, that kind of stuff. You know, we're very happy because Visual Studio from the ground up is really about language and it's about the IDE. Um, and the designers have sort of been added on and baked on and added layers. And expression blend and web design, those are just more layers that add on to 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 the core language and, and get built up. And sometimes they retrofit and sometimes they don't. So and 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 Sean, of course, is like the Silverlight guy. He's looking for like the ubiquitous solution, uh, a very slick user interface that integrates nicely with Visual Studio. But it's it's a different kind of uh, you're you're looking for something a little bit different. And as far as the MVC guys, I don't even know what to say about those guys, man. <laughs> I, I, I think I think Miguel has something. Don't look he, at me. Don't look at you. <laughs> well, you know there uh, there's a handful. And I don't know how big that handful is. It could be a very big handful for all I know. But there is a handful of developers who really want to do things that way. And I don't see, I don't see, I don't think anybody should feel forced to use a particular technology, MVC, Blend, Silverlight, anything like that. You're always going to use what works best for you. And you should be proud of the tools that you use. And, you know, uh, but, you know, some guys just, they, that's the model that they want to program in. Now, I imagine it wreaks havoc with you, Todd, because, you know, you guys have to now support sure. yet another model of programming. Yeah, it, it creates layers of challenge. I mean, anytime you have a new approach to doing something for ASP.NET or for the web, it, for 
third parties in particular, you've got customers, you inevitably have customers who want to choose that path. And yeah. uh, if you want to keep those customers, if that's an area that fits with your business, if it's complementary, of course, you want to do what you can to support them. And MVC certainly falls in that category. Now, we've one thing to keep in mind with MVC is it's not a different technology. It's just a different approach to ASP.NET. Yeah. So, you know, there's been some good articles recently sort of clarifying that MVC is not leaving ASP.NET. It's just a new way to do ASP.NET. So fundamentally, everything that you've used in ASP.NET, including your UI controls, right. will work in MVC with perhaps just a few tweaks to get away from that really focused server-side processing model. And if you can do that, and this is sort of what Telerik is pursuing when it comes down that, that road to MVC, is uh, you can reuse a lot of what you've done. You don't have to start from ground zero to support yeah. ASP.NET MVC. And that's what we're doing. But yeah, sure, it's a hassle. And and Silverlight, WPF, all these things represent new platforms that Microsoft's put out in a very short time that you have to address. But uh, we're basing it on developer demand. And, you know, right now, developer demand is really picking up on WPF. Now, don't you think that the page model that ASP.NET brought in, which in some ways was an extension of classic ASP, has served a great purpose. And for the right website, it's, it's, it's really a great solution. What MVC and other technologies like it, non-Microsoft included, are bringing into this is that many, many websites we're talking about building are not page-focused. We're mashing this stuff onto it, the, the um, Ajax uh, implementations, yeah. certainly things like viewing catalogs, and if you look, you know, everything can't be in the query string, everything can't be in session state like some people do, that those sorts of situations have nothing to do with a landing page that have to do with we're using pages to model something that is very different that maps better to what our organization is actually doing. So you, you uh, use MVC yourself? Um, Almost. I couldn't yeah. use it for some limitations, so I actually use the routing framework to have um, some of my websites to do more URI-based um, development. And page -based. Steve, you've got experience with the model view controller framework. Yeah, everything I'm building now is using MVC. Um, just because mostly to learn it, but also because I'm big on the test-driven development, continuous integration, agile. Being able to test my code is very useful. and uh, Traditionally, ASP.NET is very difficult to test. So do you think that uh, the MVC framework, with its separation of concerns, which is a really great feature of this, uh, actually does more to help the sort of designer, developer integration intervention, or does it hinder that process? I would say it helps it because uh, when you do MVC, the view portion should be as dumb as possible, which is to say it shouldn't have any code or logic in it if possible. It should just have little placeholders for where the, the data should get stuck in. And so you can take that HTML and hand it off to a designer. They can use whatever tool they want. And as long as your placeholders are still there when you get it back, it's, it's fine. So the integration side of it with the designers is now fairly trivial. I'd agree but disagree because it would seem that with even though we've got the separation of concerns, the approach we're seeing often with MVC for creating these views is putting a lot of code in the view. So the classic, I don't need a repeater, I've got a for loop. I mean, okay, fine, but where does a for loop come into play for a designer? You know, don't designers want drag and drop components like the ASP.NET ASP page model supported for a long time? So it's a little bit interesting how, yeah, we separate so this can go to designers, but we're also encouraging a model that is very anti-designer by putting actual code, C-sharp code, back in our, in our view. Now, is it logic? No. But is it code? Yes. And, you know, designers don't want to be anywhere near code. That's true. And you want to minimize how much of that code you have. But designers, in my experience, aren't using Visual Studio. So they're not dragging and dropping web controls anyway. And we want to keep sure. designers away from code, do we not? We do. <laughs> I agree. As much as possible. So I'm talking about encapsulating that code and abstracting it, keeping it out of the view altogether. That's yep. what seems different with MVC that's maybe not so designer-friendly. But I think it is fair to say that a lot of the early examples of the use of MVC was driven by 
examples out there with some other technologies, with uh, some other frameworks. And so the for each loop stuff you see in the common examples today, I don't think they're typical of what you're going to see in corporate um, development. Sure. I think those are an aberration simply because someone looked at Ruby on Rails and said, how will we do it in, in ASP.NET? And that's why those examples look that way. I mean, let's be clear. NBC is to attract another audience. I mean, .NET's done a great sure. job of attracting a certain audience, and now they want to attract another audience. And so you need to have a way to support sure, that. Sure, and it doesn't take away from the other technologies we're all using uh, that aren't. Sure. So, so uh, well, okay. <laughs> oh, that brought our conversation <laughs> to screeching halt, didn't it? <laughs> Oh, I'll be happy to continue it if you'd like. No, please, please. Because you've been I'm, a little I'm bit not, quiet. I'm on not the... completely sold on NBC yet. And while, while, while Steve doesn't strike me, I, I know Steve well, and he, he's, he's nowhere near a zealot on, just on, on anything. So for me, any chance to, to, to insult a TDD zealots is one I, that I jump on. Nice. Um, okay. Nice. <laughs> so how to win friends I, I, I like people. <laughs> I, I, I'm a big fan of unit testing, and I'm a big fan of some approaches, some TDD approaches. I'm just not uh, uh, on the extreme side of, uh, of every test should have a method. Um, I, I actually need to deliver software in time. Um, so I, I will. I will give you. I will give you what, what is Even probably if it's buggy. Oh, I, I will give you. I will give you what I think is a, is probably going to be a controversial statement. I think. Okay. If, if you're, I, I believe that if you're overly concerned with testing. With testing UI to the to the extremity that you to the extreme that you want to change your programming model in order to do so, you're probably putting too much non UI code in there. Yes, that's probably true. And ASP.NET almost forces you to do that. No, no, ASP.NET's problem is that it allows you to do that. And that is a problem. I agree that's definitely a problem. And there's so many areas of Microsoft development where it allows you to do things the wrong way. You know, anybody that was in my last talk, WCF, the manual way, knows exactly what I'm talking about. You know, it's it's better to do things manually than to let things happen automatically. And ASP.NET's a perfect example of that. But if if you do follow good procedures and good practices, I really think that you can come up with good classic ASP.NET sites and not have overbloated UIs with code that requires all this extensive testability and rerunning regression tests and things like that. I think that a lot of that needs to be offloaded to models. Now, does, model code, does any of this code. change for you, Miguel, once you have Silverlight and you have a little bit more of your UI I, happening I can't, on the I can't honestly answer that question because I'm not enough of a Silverlight guy to even argue the topic. But you could you could sort of think about it. I mean, you've got this thing that <laughs> I would, has... I would, appro- I would approach Silverlight with the same mindset that I approach ASP.NET development today. Just how much can I do outside of the Silverlight UI layer? Yeah. How much can I... And I do that with, with no matter what UI I'm developing, I always... Put as much, and you know, I try to develop my business objects as agnostic as possible. I don't care. I mean, you guys saw this when we were doing proxies today in, in my last session. I don't care what the UI is, and I try to do that when I'm developing websites. I don't care what the UI is, as far as the the, the te- what I consider the the testable code, the necessary uh, testable code. Well, the so, model that is Silverlight should, in theory, be able to take you just back to where you are with ASP.NET, and that it's much more, even though it's possibly. XAML it, and it's not sort of page oriented, you're still dealing with a page file, XAML file, and the code behind, and you're handling events directly from that XAML in that code behind. So the behaviors that we consider bad in ASP.NET are fully supported, almost encouraged equally in Silverlight. So, I mean, if you can do the patterns in Silverlight correctly, you should, in theory, be able to do them correctly in ASP.NET. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, you can do it right today with ASP.NET, but it's very, very easy not to. There's plenty of examples you'll find that aren't doing it that way. There's things where, you know, you've got a, a SQL data source sitting on your ASPX page talking to your grid view, and now you've got your page directly talking to your database, which makes it impossible which is, to test. Which And, and it's, it's a very wrong practice. Right, but it's all over the place. Now, but it keeps me employed. The thing that MVC is looking for 
is they're trying to have, and I, I think it's Martin Fowler that quoted this originally. It's not my term, but they want to encourage people to fall into a pit of success, right? They want to make it so like doing it the right way is like falling off a log. It's just, it's the way you're going to have to do it. You'll, you can't do it the wrong way unless you really try. But by default, you know, you just, it's going to be the right thing. And so that is going to make it easier for developers to go down the right path by default instead of accidentally doing things the wrong way because it's so tempting and so easy. I'm not convinced if MVC is going to accomplish that in the way you've just described well, it. I think fundamentally MVC is actually more complicated than classic ASP.NET, than traditional ASP.NET. Well, model. Let's, let's leave that argument right there and move on to what I think uh, we, we're really going to have to wrap our mind around Silverlight if we're going to talk about the future of web development. Because, uh, you know, obviously Silverlight 2.0 was just announced today. So, the, you know, we've had betas out there. The, the product has just come out. Not a lot of you probably have had a chance to, to figure out what this is all about. So fundamentally we've got, and Sean, you, you can clarify this, but as far as I understand, fundamentally we've got an object, you know, you can think of it like an ActiveX control sort of in the browser that has a lot of code compiled into it and can do things that a regular .NET application can do a Windows application. So the question is, how does that change with the way that we develop code? I mean, uh, uh, us Ajax-minded people, we're very client-server-minded. We, we have this whole round-trip process and vision. And now you've got this thing that is stateful, that has graphics, that has all this stuff. My question to you, Sean, is what are some of the classic m mistakes that people are going to make right off the bat, right out of the gate with Silverlight? And what kind of applications shouldn't? we be trying to do in Silverlight? I know what we should be doing because I've seen the demos and they're awesome. What shouldn't we be doing? <laughs> well, um, let me talk, talk about the first question first. Um, one of the issues with the current SDK is that the um, out-of-the-box experience is, oh, Silverlight should take up an entire page and should be a full browser, uh, a, a full page rendered control. And I think that's the exact opposite approach. Um, the way that I teach it um, is to talk about Silverlight as extending the DOM. So if you can do something in HTML and it does it well, Ajax included, you should continue to do that. But where it falls apart, where you need to do transitions, where you need to do rich, either stateful or stateless communication with servers, and you have skill sets that are used in Silverlight, C-sharp, VB, um, um, uh, uh, dynamic languages, you can really um, create some very compelling pieces. But I don't think this is going to replace replace web development on the whole. I think it's really extending to also do richer and richer things. And when I hear you say that, I think, oh, okay, so eye candy. Like, give me a really good business case for something Silverlight that is more than just glitzy eye candy. Well, because of the statefulness of, of, of Silverlight, you can really have rich communication without having to, um, um, with servers, without necessarily having to hack it together like it feels like you do in JavaScript. I can call in C-sharp a web method that is using a proxy like I'm used to in a desktop application, make that browser call through the browser so we're not violating or around, uh, getting around the security concerns of the browser, and being able to give the user rich information, you know, whether that's as simple as the con like kind of the canonical example of live graphs of data 
you know, let's say you wanted to get, find out information about um, um, uh, how well an oil well was doing out in the field, being able to get that data and showing it to a user on a web form, you could certainly do it with, with HTML. So instrumentation, you could probably say it's going to, industrial instrumentation is going to be yeah. a huge coup for, for Silverlight. So. Is it, is it really going to be a flash killer? No. Well, that. I don't, I don't think it's supposed to be a flash killer. I mean, I think anybody who thinks Silverlight's here to be a flash killer is just trying to create a war uh, right. that doesn't need to be there. It's, it's a tool that enables .NET developers to reuse their skills to do things that we haven't been able to do before because we'd have to go learn ActionScript, you know, which is right. bad JavaScript, and uh, build another object. Because <laughs> JavaScript's using, not bad enough. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Take that for what you will, and then build it. So this is really just enabling .NET developers to expand what's in their toolbox. So I don't think, I mean, if it kills Flash along the way, or if it doesn't, you know, I think it's just a side effect of what the platform's really here for, for developers. Yeah, and I've never thought it would be a flash killer, but I hear that all the time. And, I think it's actually, yeah. uh, the, compet the competitive landscape isn't about f flash, it's about flex. Flex um, allows you to build business applications, line of business applications, uh, and Silverlight does that really well, allow you to create biz line of business applications. When people hear that, though, they think, inside my enterprise, I'm going to change all my desktop applications to Silverlight or Flex, and that's not the right story because line of business occurs lots of times across the firewall, and that's where that is the place where I see it being used really well. Maybe you are replacing a web for, uh, a, a, a WinForms application with Silverlight, but only if your partners are across the firewall. If your partners are on the, at the next desk, there's no reason to use to use Silverlight. Uh, XBAP will be a better solution. Web will be a better solution. And if you need rich reach, I need to go to to uh, platforms that Silverlight doesn't support, yeah. HTML is always the fallback. So uh, another thing, as you were talking about, the, another thing I thought about was business intelligence, mm -hmm. right? Having sort of digital dashboards of, of real-time sort of numbers and graphs of things that are happening, maybe modular that you can plug in and, pl you know, and, and put in there. That's probably a very compelling business case for Silverlight. It is, because, it, because it's very easy to share code with .NET and Silverlight. It's not trivial that you're going to share assemblies, but you can share code files between them so right. that unlike having to say oh i have a model of my data here in the server that is c sharp or vb.net classes and then on the cl client i'm gonna have to build these javascript versions of the same code that's that's unattractive being able to do the same thing on both sides in the browser i'm consuming a c sharp class and the server i'm consuming a okay. c sharp class it's virtually so we're creeping toward the future of web development let's Talk about what the experience is with Silverlight 2.0 today, with with Expression, with Visual Studio. What is the experience like? If I wanted to, if I wanted to start creating something like this, this digital dashboard, where would I start? Um, I would start in Blend. Blend. So you would call dial a, dial a turtleneck? I, no, I don't think you need to. If if you're interested, I'm doing a talk tomorrow. What I mean by dial a turtleneck is you would call a designer. Right. Would that be the and, first? And let me no. correct this point because I've been wanting to correct this. <laughs> Since we started, we talked about this a year ago, Blend is not for designers. Blend is to make designing easier for developers. It's, okay. Now, this this is interesting. Blend is not for design because I've been told that it was. <laughs> You've been by misled developer. by developers. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, isn't this developer ego to say that we've got a great tool for developing code, but designers... Uh, you've got great tools for developing I, designs. I thought Microsoft said that, though, not the developer community. Did Didn't that Microsoft change this story? <laughs> yeah. I mean, they this couldn't is, have said that. Microsoft has no ego. 
Yeah, right. This is a story that sure is trying to be told, and, and a lot of developers buy into it. They think, sure, I've got a tool now for making it easy to design, and I can just take the code right out of it. Didn't, well, wouldn't that be great? But you you, know, is your designer going to give up Photoshop and You know, it sounds to me like Microsoft said, Blend is for designers, not for developers. And all the designers went, eh, now it's for developers suddenly. I well, think, I think th- it's for the guy in... I really think it's for the guy in the middle. I mean, there's a reason why I've been giving a talk, and I'll be doing it tomorrow, blend for developers. Because when developers get over the fear of a design surface, most developers tend to love it. Okay, so back to the original point. Would the first step is design after architecture, obviously. So you architect your solution. You've got some designs. You've got some XAML. Now you want to start hooking up some data. Where do you do you do you do that in Blend? Do you do that in Visual Studio? Well, you, you can really do it in both. It depends on what our what, our, what your architecture is exactly. Okay, um, it's fairly easy to build um, 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 classes or, or or factories that you can use in Blend to do all the data binding, to do all the styling, to do all the data templates. Um, you could make a you WCF call, for example, in Blender, could you? No, no, because it's not it's not a place to code. Yeah. Now, the typical experience there is Blend is open, Visual Studio is open, and they both open the same projects at the same time. Okay. And, and that's really what I was talking about earlier is the fundamental change here is that you have a design tool that opens up project files, solution files. That's, that's not opening up a PSD, making some edits, and exporting it as a bunch of, of, of sliced images like we get today. Does okay. It, uh, does it work with source control now? With the latest version? Not 2.0. Yeah, that's what I thought. It's promised right. for 3.0. Well, what about expression design? That has to be for designers, doesn't it? <laughs> okay, let me ask you a question, and let's make this very clear. If Adobe... Go back in there, boy. <laughs> if Adobe created the Adobe coding tool, and it was just like the Photoshop interface, and it, designers felt just at home at that, and they could take their design files, and you could open Photoshop files in this tool, and you could just start writing code against Photoshop files. So why don't we coders come over to their side... And now use this tool that's compatible with their file format. This is exactly what we're designers to do. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that's called CS4. Is. I don't know if anyone has paid attention, but coding in, in Photoshop is now a reality. <laughs> so, so I wonder why do we even need expression blend and expression design? Shouldn't we just be focusing on making export tools that just take Photoshop and Illustrator well, to XAML better? Does an Illustrator that, export to XAML? It does, but it only goes one direction. So once you export, you have to re-export again, and so it's not easy to maintain. And so let's just call. Up Adobe. So let's just call up Adobe and say, hey, get with it, and everything will be great. Actually, you got their phone number? <laughs> actually, design today is the, I call it the gateway tool, because it's, a, it's actually a, a pretty bad design tool. Um, but it, what it does really well is pull in Illustrator, Photoshop, and other formats and export Silverlight XAML. So in taking designer files and bringing them over, it becomes a fairly natural thing. And then you can have designers use Blend to polish their design so that they're part of the development process. But so Todd's saying like they're is, not going to do that. This is to help Todd's the economy, wrong. it sounds like, because we're still talking about this middleman. So we're creating a whole new sector of jobs, the middleman. Well, design. Todd, you've obviously got a lot of, of thought about this. What is the solution? I think the solution is to focus more on creating tools that make the workflow from designers' favorite tools of choice, Illustrator, Photoshop, direct to coders' tool of choice, which is Visual Studio. We need to focus on just what is that conversion tool that makes that process seamless and not about creating a whole new class of tools for a new class of developers. And currently there isn't a conversion tool that goes back into Illustrator. There are conversion tools out there, and there are many, but none of them are solid enough to make this process as seamless as it needs to be. There needs to be a lot more investment in this process of 
going directly from these programs into Visual Studio. And it's possible because Adobe's doing it. Adobe does it with Flash Builder. They're doing it with the next generation of Flex Builder. Just because it's possible doesn't mean they'll do it. But if you were Microsoft, would you rather build all these great tools to make it so people can use your competitors' products really well or make it so they can and they can use design to pull them in if they like? But gosh, maybe some of them will actually decide design's good. Look, I'm not arguing. philosophy is what got us the Zoom. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What was that? That philosophy is what got us the Zune. Yeah. Okay, you like your Zune, but 90 million people use <laughs> like the iPod. So I'm not arguing Microsoft's business philosophy here at all. I'm just suggesting that it's a flawed story to say that Expression Blend and Expression Design are going to bring designers into the Visual Studio camp. They're still going to stay in their tools, and like we've been saying this whole time, there's going to be a new middle ground, a new middle developer that exists between these two camps. I, yeah. I don't agree, but just because of the number of Flash guys that come to my course. And there, they start using Blend because remember, most of those designers that are us- used to these tools, they come into Blend, and there there is a comfort level. I'm not talking about creating another person. Do we really have to choose between a import export tool and a Microsoft product? Yes. Oh wait, no, I guess we don't. I mean, It'd be great to have both. Of them. Yeah. So so let's talk about the Microsoft products because that's what we know. Um, there, obviously, the the level of integration is or is not sufficient today to do uh, design and development. It sounds like it is, according it's, to Sean. It's, it's pretty good. It's not, it's not great. It's not perfect. Uh, interestingly, because if you think about Serverlight as being code plus markup, which sounds vaguely like ASP.NET code plus markup, the story of designer-developer integration in Silverlight is, is at least one, maybe two generations ahead of the story in ASP.NET for the same, for the right. same project. Well, and you know, I think for the far future, I keep saying this, but I, I see things converging to eventually the point that the UI, I don't believe, will matter that much. I mean, I'm hoping that it's subtracted to the point one day. None of the we, browser stays in there. Yeah, well, really, I mean, that it doesn't matter if it's a phone or a web browser or a Windows form. You have some XML representation of that. And, uh, you know, the end product that's presenting it knows best how to take that XML and display it based on its capabilities. I mean, we're not there yet, but don't don't you think we're sort of moving that direction? A unified UI. A unified UI. That's what Xaml's uh, hoping to do. I, I, yeah. honest, uh, to answer your question bluntly, Mark, honestly, no. I don't, I don't think we're moving there, but I would like to see us moving yeah, there. Right. I just don't think it's getting there. And I agree with Steve. That's the original intent of XAML, but I don't think that's happening. Oh, it was the original soon. intent of ASP. It was the original intent of ASP.NET. Uh, yeah. Of HTML. It was the original intent of HTML. Blurring the lines. But you're, but you're, talk, but you're talking about blurring, the lines, blurring of, the lines of extremely dissimilar systems right yeah. now. And even though XAML has kind of brought a web development paradigm to the Windows development world, I guess. Uh, I don't know if that's really the right way of putting it. Because yeah. I mean, when, when you're looking at XAML and markup XAML and the way the grids and stack channels work, I think, something, I think web developers are probably more comfortable with that design paradigm with that programming paradigm than, uh, than Windows developers Yeah, when are. WPF has a navigate namespace, you yeah. know, navigation right. namespace. But, but I think that's where the kinship stops. Things, yeah. I definitely think that's where the kinship stops. They're, the models are still extremely dissimilar, and I don't see them, I don't see those lines getting blurred anytime soon. So before soon. we get off the topic of tools and what tools people are going to use, um, there is something to be said for the fact that Microsoft is betting the farm on that the, that someday in the future, if if some if if a designer knows Blend and can do design work in Blend and XAML, that 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 they'll be paid so handsomely that all those Photoshopy guys will just come running over 
to uh, to their side and use those. Well, one tools. of the things that'll be nice there is that all those tools are, I believe, going to be part of MSDN. So if you've got you know a company that's just got an MSDN subscription, we can get anything you want. They are now, yeah. You, know, you can just grab those things for your designers and not have to pay Adobe. You know, a fair chunk of change for these design tools. It's not a fair chunk of change. It's a chunk of change, but it's not a fair. Because you know, change. I I I had a conversation a large with chunk of change. I had a conversation right. with Tim Huckabee on the plane coming up here, and what really surprised me was he told me that good designers, people who know Blend and and XAML, can make more money than developers. Like they can get command up to five hundred bucks an hour if they're really, really good. It should be case and I in was point like, to how many damn. designers are coming over to these tools. I was like, damn, I'm I'm in the wrong business here. <laughs> I gotta get my three D mojo working. Yeah. But you know really good hookers can make more oh. than that. <laughs> like he said Such a classy <laughs> show we have. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> I'm sorry, Carl. Well, your point, edit that out. No, no, no. Actually, you're making a pretty good point. It's that, you know, it's what you're doing that matters, whether you're making a lot of money or not. Right? It's just easier to outsource developers to India than it is hookers. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's hard to outsource that. Hey, I just want to give a shout out real quick to our friends at Data Dynamics who uh, make ActiveReports.net, among other really awesome things. ActiveReports.net is great because uh, it allows you to just build your reports with an easy editor, embed them right in your application, provide PDF and HTML output, give your end users a report editor, royalty-free, of course, a great access report upsizing wizard, and all this for a price that isn't going to break the bank. ActiveReports.net from Data Dynamics. Go check it out now at datadynamics.com. So now let's move on to what we really want, what we really wish. If you could put your thinking cap on and, and you ran the company that made all these great tools, what, what should the developer experience be? And, and, uh, um, and the model is the model up to the task right now of, of handling it. What are your thoughts? Can I make two quick uh, comments about Silverlight and things that people might do wrong with it? Please, because, yes, I don't know if we exhausted that topic. Yet. All right. Well, one is um, you don't want to build your full web apps that you want Google and other search engines to find and do it all in Silverlight and make it so the user comes to your site and that's the last request they make through uh, the browser and everything else after that is just interacting with Silverlight. Good point. Because all of your data will now be completely hidden to any search engine and your site will not be uh, indexed. And then the other one... Um, that's extremely important. Yeah. Fair. The other, this, the other big concern Microsoft's is that... That's on that, of course. Well, well, well zap someone, files someone will fix it. They're, they're zip files. And the next issue is that your zap files are completely in the clear by default. So if right now you rely on the fact that you can ship this really cool application to everybody in the whole world because it's an ASP.NET app and all the guts of how it works live on your server. So your competitor who wants to do the same thing and steal all your customers can't easily get to that code unless he hacks your server. He can scrape all the HTML he wants and look at your JavaScript. But now you decide you're going to bake it all into Silverlight and you're going to make it available. Now anybody can get that code. And by default, it's all plain text. So they can just take it and use it. And it's very trivial to do so. Yeah. Um, so you can obfuscate that. And there's other techniques available. But those are just concerns you need to be aware of. Yeah, security certainly. In search indexing, I'll just make one comment. Microsoft has said and come out and said as such that they believe that, they, in their opinion, Silverlight is indexable because zip files can be indexed by search engines and XAML is plain text. It's not yeah. a compiled language. So in theory, it can be indexed. But yeah. will, will it be indexed in theory, well? it could be, yes. It, I mean, it will be, but will it be indexed well? Will it rise to the top of PageRake? No. And right. Obviously, PDFs obviously don't get as much love sure. as HTML. And so even, if, right. even if they're indexed, if you have a, a detailed application with lots of navigation, 
it's going to be very difficult for an engine to know where to get into there. Absolutely. So solutions will obviously be required, but it's not you, it's not impossible to it's index impossible. content today. Correct. No. And I to, to further on on that the the other piece is that um, um, is to really avoid um, building that one app that does everything that that. The one of the things that I get a lot of people come to me and talk about Silverlight is, oh, cool, we can do everything in the browser, so therefore we should. And the the reality is that using Silverlight means that you can keep what the server does well on the server and let Silverlight do what it does well on the server because the two technologies are are fairly similar. And if you decide to move logic behind the server for security, for scalability, or for other reasons, it becomes easier. If you've ever tried to refactor a AJAX stack on, on a page and then render it as HTML uh, using c or VB code on the server, you know how painful that is. That is, right. that is the epitome of pain, right? Now. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it just made me think of another question. I mean, I always hear that Silverlight's a subset of, of XAML for WPF. How hard is it to take something that Silverlight and migrate that to a full-blown WPF app? If I want to go from browser to window, from Silverlight to WPF, uh, the story's pretty good. There's a couple of things. There's a couple of hiccups, but it's probably a 95 percent story. It's the other way the reverse is is not nearly the same. Right. You know, um, I unfortunately I don't agree with Scott Guthrie when he says it is a subset. Is it is not a subset, and um, um, you know that if you've ever talked to anyone on the Blend team that it's not a subset. Well, what do you mean by that? Is there stuff in Silverlight that doesn't exist in WPF, and therefore that makes it not a subset? Is that what you're saying? That is what I'm saying. The the uh, um, the um, Visual State Manager is one. They're backporting it to to WPF, but it's not there yet, and that's a big story in Silverlight. Um, um, a lot of the controls, like the the data grid, which is going to be backported to WPF as well, doesn't exist. Um, and the control suites are dissimilar. So if you're right. using third parties, it, it becomes more more painful. There are small syntactic, syntactical differences as well um, that I won't. Believe. I always thought the well, only difference or the only similarity was the fact that it, it uses XAML, XAML markup. Well, that's, they're that's actually it. a lot Much more, more similar than than people. I mean, sure, it's not easy yeah. to go back and forth, but Telerik's approach to building uh, UI controls for WPF and Silverlight is, in fact, to use the same code base for both. We build. Yeah. Uh, we have two teams building for WPF and Silverlight. One team builds one control, and then they just hand it off to the other team. And they do the few things that you talked about, the yeah. little tweaks to run each environment. But it's 90 95% code reuse. So, I mean, there is a pretty good reuse story at a high level between at these two frameworks. Levels. At which side? The C-sharp side or the XAML on both. side? On both. On both, on both sides? Yeah. 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 Unless you're getting into something really obscure or very desktop-specific, there's a really good crossover between these two platforms. The, big, the biggest difference That's that people, the biggest pain point that people have between them actually mm-hmm. isn't the code and the markup. It's the perf story because XAML now is, is, a, is all CPU rendered and WPF is hardware accelerated. And so if you're doing some very interesting and very dynamic things, you may spend a lot of time tuning that for Silverlight because Silverlight is going to depend on the number and the power of processors on the desktop. Okay, we have 15 minutes left and we haven't gotten to the future yet. So, who wants to go first? The future is now. What's it going to look like? What do you want it to look like, Miguel? Uh, what do I want it to look like? I want to write code like a user is going to use Surface. Wow. <laughs> How's that? Wow. <laughs> How's that for abstract, right? So you want a sort of a ESP kind of neural interface? You hook up. An there you go. Something right out of the Star Trek hologram go. room. You know, <laughs> absolutely. And we've had requests for years for Telerik Rad do all my work for me. So maybe we'll put that on the, the roadmap here. Hey, but I, but I, I mean, I, 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 I'm really catching the surface fever. I mean, I, I saw I a video it. today yeah. that'll make Steve Jobs crap his pants. It's an amazing so, piece of technology. Yeah. So, uh, so the are you 
So come on, be serious. I mean, no. you, you don't want to build web apps with no, no, Surface. No, um, Give me a chance to think about that. And let I me think pass it on. from okay. a de- development uh, technology standpoint, looking at the future and the way trends are progressing, the, the two things that I'd love to see more of are better mobile support, especially in the Silverlight. Obviously, Silverlight hasn't delivered on that roadmap yet, but mobile devices, mobile browsing is exploding now that the browsers are much more capable. So we see Firefox is building their own. Google's just built their own in Android. Obviously, Safari browser's been very successful. So we're starting to see mobile become a real browsing outlet. And it'd be nice to have some tools tailored to that performance of device, not necessarily that uh, browser. And then offline application support. I mean, we've been developing applications now for years and depending on that internet connection. And we really need to take that leap to giving developers better tools to do offline applications where it doesn't matter if the connection's there, the application still works. And, and we, Well, we actually have that now. I mean, WCF has come a long way to giving us that kind of Yeah, it's of coming along. Absolutely. But if I'm looking to the future, I want that offline development support to be much richer and much easier for the developer. What do you say, Sean? I th- for me, it's about... Um, uh, user choice, and so I want the development experience to be to hide the details of browser OS and device from me. It's if I have to go yeah. through, I'm not about making my pain less, but making the 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 stupid stuff go away. And the stupid stuff is, oh, I've made this really great CSS3 XHTML web page, and then I go look at it in IE5, and then I go look at it on 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 a, um, iPhone or on my mobile device, and it looks like crap. And so that means I have to go in and go, if they've come in and have this header, and that's the pain that is ridiculous. I want to be able to spend all my energy making my UIs and making my applications do what the user wants and not have to worry about where they're running it. Steve? Yeah, I feel kind of the same way. I just want to be able to write my code once and have it just work. So eliminate and all browsers but one, yeah, basically. That would, I would love if there were only one browser. Yeah. It would just make my life so as, much as easier. As we all would. Um, unfortunately, but unfortunately, they seem to be adding to Yeah, the they keep adding more. Problem. It's like yeah. the problem's getting worse, not better. Um, but Silverlight is a good uh, way to address that. If you, if you have the flexibility to dictate that your users must install Silverlight, which not everyone does, um, it gives you a great cross-browser thing where you don't really care what browser they have and you've still got you know, compiled code that you can run. So I think a lot of the things that I'm looking for, Silverlight's going to address. Maybe not in V2, but you know, it's coming. There, it's going to be the thing that you use for line of business apps in a couple of years, I'm what sure. What if you didn't have the tools you have today? What if, what if it was a clean slate? Web development. Would so you no would bad. you have two? <laughs> would you have two products? Would you have a design application and a development application like we have now? It's would, inherently two two different groups of people in the way they think. It's creative minds and, and very analytical minds, and I think just by natural human psychology, they drift to doing their work different ways. So I think inevitably we'd still have two two ways of no going matter about what. Process. Process. But the tools we have right now don't accommodate that. And so as far as Not those tools, that, that, and I agree with Sean on that, as far as those tools that we currently have right now, I'd actually like to see some of that stuff kind of go away more and incorporate it into Visual Studio a little more. I don't care where it's done. And they, and they, and they say that the, the next version of Visual Studio, the, the, like the WPF designer, for example, is going to only get better and better and incorporate more blend-type technology into it. Well, that wouldn't be hard because the current WPF editor in, in Visual Studio is, is, <laughs> is disabled on every machine I own. Yeah, going back and forth, like, <laughs> like you mentioned earlier, not to beat a dead horse, but going... You guys know what that means, beat a dead horse? Not to be the dead horse, but to, to go back and forth with project files and one application to the other and back to this and then back to that and back to this. I think that's how the counter that's counterproductive. So that's that's kind of my quick answer to where I'd like to see this go. Is more more are you more unified. Just we have a unified model in WCF to accommodate five different technologies, more of a unified IDE to accommodate 
more different that, ways. Of, of and I think focus. we should find a way to combine MIT and RISD together so that they can find just one campus to do both their, their curriculum. Hey, we're in Bulgaria. They don't know what about MIT and RISD. These just are, for everybody else's reference. Okay. Those are, we'll explain it later then. Technical <laughs> University, Art University. Right. Same campus. Uh, so to make a short story longer, where where do you think the improvements should be made in Visual Studio when it comes to web development because obviously you know blend is new it's it was a ground-up product you know they got to build everything from scratch the way they wanted what about visual studio the designers are they are they up to it are they up to the task would you like to anything you'd like to see done better i would love it if they just had one tool and you could apply like a filter to it that said that you wanted to look at it through, through the eyes of a designer or through the eyes of a developer or nice. both and then rather than having to have separate different things that ship and version and don't have compatibility with one another and, you know, Visual Studio already takes up like 50,000 gig of my memory. So having that plus something else open is not something so I'm looking you, forward to. So do you think to. the designer should have to put up with 50,000 gigs of your memory that isn't going to be even used? No, I'm hoping they would figure out a way to make it so <laughs> if they filter it out, no, but, it doesn't need to be in memory. But, you know, oh, the, okay. the ironic thing is, is that the it's fundamentals for that are there right now. Visual Studio is an extensible enough product. I mean, we pro they proved it by decoupling the shell from it. Right. So it's an extensible enough product. And, you know, Mark proves it every day by improving CodeRush. So, it, you know, it, it's an extensible enough Mark product. Miller, he's talking about. It's an extensible enough product where <laughs> it may be easier rather than harder to, to do something like this and to get to that point where we have a unified model or, like you say, play. I like that analogy, plugging filters in to see things through, through different lenses, through different eyes. We probably have that now. Just need to find somebody to write those lenses. That is actually the most forward-thinking um, suggestion that I've heard on the panel today. Now, you guys, show of uh, <laughs> not a show of hands because this is a radio show. Uh, by applause, how many people like the idea of having one tool that can just be filtered to uh, to accommodate your your accommodate your? Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Hi, And also, also. Uh, to the other point, how many people like having two products? Clap. Significantly less. Yeah. But but let's look at it's what we have today because we have some of that today. But you, these are developers, you, though. Yeah, right. but if you look, no, no. What I mean by that is, look at Visual Studio. Let's ignore Blend. Let's look at Visual Studio. And if I come into Visual Studio as a web, uh, as a WinForms developer, yeah, and um, I open up File Project New, what do I see? And that what I see is what scares developers. What do you mean? There's 34 different things I can create here. There's web. There's web. Um, um, there's setup files. There's WinForms projects. There's console apps. There's all these pieces, and that's one of the reasons I, I think Visual Studio is powerful for developers, but inherently the wrong the wrong idea for designers. And simply saying, "Oh, I'm a de designer," is kind of like that dialogue when you first launch Visual Studio. Who are you? Are you a C-sharp guy? If so, I'm going to hide the VB templates. If you're a general guy, then I'm going to show you everything. I'm a web guy. I'm going to nest these into some tree someplace. I, I, I don't hate think that, that question. Well. I, I hate that question. Me yeah. too. Just give me everything. I agree that that implementation isn't perfect, but if you could go in there and you could just trivially click a button and with no delay at all, you could switch to design view or code view and it would change the whole layout. And you could have like your cool design thing that gives you a choice of dark gray or light gray. You know, like my choices I have now in blend because it's so colorful. Um, you know, then that would make it so much easier. Now, is it realistic that we'd get that? Maybe not, but we're just dreaming about the future here. So. Sure. Well, maybe when they rewrite Visual Studio in WPF, we'll yeah, come one step right. closer to that. Which they're doing. Yep. Well, can we say yes. that? Is that under NDA? Um, 
I no, they announced it publicly. They did? Okay. Because yeah. I've known that for a while, and I just couldn't say it. Yeah, yeah no, that's, I've, I've heard it publicly a while already. Right. Yeah. But are we kind of saying that too many choices are not a good thing for most people? No, I mean, we're, we're no not, we said it was a 50-50 thing. So you think it's a 50-50 yeah, thing? And I think it's going to remain a 50-50 thing. We're not talking about limiting choice either. We're just talking about putting all the choices into one SKU so we don't have to have right. all these installs running. So. Well, that begs the question, why are things different in Blend than they are in Visual Studio in terms of keystrokes and in terms of where things are, how things are done? Why is, for example, the, the icon to show advanced properties of something three pixels big? You know, and with no actual indication that there's anything advanced about it. Because designers have good eyes and developers are all blind. <laughs> That's brilliant. That's brilliant. You may be right there. Oh, okay. I don't have anything. I've got nothing. I thought oh, it was an Easter egg. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So any, any, any final thoughts, you guys, in terms of... Uh, in terms of things that you'd like to see? or Well, the one thing I've been begging for for a long time in Visual Studio, and I'll just use this as my platform to say pet peeve, is I want new features to be opt-in. One of the what, what has happened since Visual Studio 2002 is they're giving you more IntelliSense, more background compilation, more stuff, and it's slowing the, the, the best guys in the room down. It's bringing the guys on the bottom, the junior developers, the guys out of college, bringing them up to speed faster, and that's great. But for the guys on the top of the heap, it's slowing them down, waiting for, oh, I've reformatted my, my code file, and it's going to take 45 seconds. That, so can't you already do things like that with templates and stuff in Visual Studio? Isn't no, it just kind of th difficult? Think, think about the IntelliSense story. They're trying to do so much in, with IntelliSense that they're actually doing background compilation refile as you type. Yeah. I want to turn that off. And currently in C Sharp, there's no way to do that. Or to at least turn it down, maybe at method level give me IntelliSense, but not have to give me every key. Maybe asynchronously based on a timing. Yeah, if, if they I did that kind of it. stuff, I would want them to be able to... Uh, I would want to be able to stick a memory stick in my machine and have it automatically move my settings from my Visual Studio settings to that so I could come to any other machine and as when I'm logged into that computer, it's going to use my settings because I think the difference between, you know, configurations from one machine to the next has always been a big problem, especially for us guys who like do present presentations. And we're always like grabbing another laptop to do a presentation on and it's completely, <laughs> you know, it's set up in some environment that's completely foreign to us. Related to that, there's two things I'd like to see. One is be able to run Visual Studio without having it to be installed in a registry. So you can go pick up an 8 gig memory stick for you know, what a year from now it'll be ten bucks or something, and uh, you can throw all of Visual Studio on it and go anywhere and just plug it in and do your work and have it all configured how you want. Something else I've been asking for for a very long time, and hopefully they'll eventually do it or someone will, is right now you can save all your configuration settings off to a file, um, but you have to carry that file around and you have to go find it in Windows and yeah. locate it and then you know import it and export it and it's a fair bit of overhead. It's not easy. I would like it if I could just say, oh, these are my settings. All right, save that in the cloud. You know, I'm already on Windows. I already yeah. have a live account. That'd be nice. You know, just just associate nice. that with my live account that I logged into Windows with. And now anywhere I go, if I just log in with my live ID, it's like, oh, here you go. Here's that is such settings. a great idea that and such a really idea. good example of why cloud computing rocks. Take out the live ID and I'm right there with you. Whatever. Yeah. Open ID. Open ID would be even better. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, but that's a great idea. Or a Google ID. Whatever. Yahoo ID. Whatever. <laughs> An ID. <laughs> 
Uh, we got a few minutes left. Does anybody have any questions? If you do, um, come on up and we'll give you a microphone, I suppose, so that the rest of the world can hear you too. You can just come on up over here. Anybody have a question? Come on up, sir. While he's coming up. I'm sorry I'm out of candy bars now. If you came to one of my sessions <laughs> and you ask a question, I threw a candy bar at you. Now you just Whether you like it or not. Whether you like it or not. Next year, attendance will be down because of that. Well, we were talking a lot about uh, the web development world, but uh, I didn't hear uh, a lot of uh, things about JavaScript. What about JavaScript? What will be the future of JavaScript? Good question. Yeah, it's a great question and a great point because I think JavaScript, and especially what we're seeing now with Chrome and V8 and this compiled approach to JavaScript, I mean, JavaScript's not dead, and it's certainly the most common language used to add dynamic uh, interfaces to the web today. So I think we can really hope to see continued improvement on JavaScript performance, JavaScript consistency across browsers, and certainly capability. I think JavaScript's only going to get better as we go forward, and it's still going to be a very powerful because way to the program for the web. JavaScript capabilities are limited. JavaScript was not designed for this volume of work. Sure. Great. From the ground up. And the uh, ongoing talk about new standards, new JavaScript, new ETMAScript, or whatever, are just not uh, producing any output. Right. Well, the fact that we can debug it now is a yeah, great that's step. A great that's a great step. IntelliSense, of course. Yeah. Yeah. It's something else that's uh, mostly even works. Yeah, you may already know that jQuery <laughs> jQuery is a very popular JavaScript library. It's going to be shipping with the next version of Visual Studio. So it's an open source uh, product that Microsoft's going to incorporate because it's so popular and powerful um, into their platform. So that you'll be able to use jQuery in any of your ASP.NET projects out of the box. Um, what do you think of jQuery? Next version sir? of VS. It's a fine library. I usually don't use it. Yeah. More <laughs> scriptaculous or something like that. What would you like to see in JavaScript? Another yeah, JavaScript. Something else. Something else. Something so you C sharp, basically, is what you're saying. In other words, if the possible, elimination of JavaScript. Possible. Yeah, so that's Silverlight. Silverlight. C sharp, maybe. Whatever. Yeah, <laughs> I just want something that will be powerful enough to give me, to answer the needs of today's computing. Very good. I think what would really make him happy is VB. <laughs> I can't advocate that. That's where he draws the line. Whatever, but not VB. I think they ask you that question before they stamp your passport. When you come in. Anybody else have a question for the panel? You just got a couple minutes. All right, come on up. Why not? By the way... I just want to say to that guy that the problem is not that JavaScript is not powerful enough, but that the DOM is really wrong. It's designed wrong. It's not designed for what it's doing now. That's and point. it seems that JavaScript is uh, the problem because uh, all we use JavaScript now is to deal with the DOM, and that's the problem. And uh, that's on a side okay. note. But uh, what I wanted to say was that uh, with this all this real uh, stuff like uh, Silverlight, the F word, JavaFX. So <laughs> fusion. Did right? I start that one? <laughs> no fusion. Uh, <laughs> so uh, really, we are we are getting back to the desktop because you see uh, what characterizes web is it's stateless, it's text based, and what characterizes desktop, uh, you have um, a new e that. Uh, you need to use threads to be responsive, and you have state. And that's what we have in real applications. So uh, really, we are using the, these are not web applications. We are using the browser like some kind of 
security unsecurity platform really. unsecurity platform but, yeah. but but however the introduction of the browser originally kind of brought us full circle from the old dumb terminal mainframe days so i mean yeah. i hope we're not in an endless circle you know some people are promoting the web as uh, well uh, they're saying that the good thing about the web is that you have uh, uh, the server and you don't need to update stuff the server does the work for you but that's really not the web but the server side development so you can do that without using the web sure and that's what you're doing with reapplications yeah i would say that re i, I agree with you because ria really is a connected client applications and connected to the uh, story there because because they're web delivered we're not talking about all, an offline uh, a rich offline story but that Unlike um, desktop applications, you have this ability to really interact with not only what is happening in the browser, but what is also happening on servers. The idea of mashing up multiple information from multiple sources and, and doing some, I think, some very interesting work there. If you, if you see what people have been doing you know, without great tools, um, trying to bring in data from very des disparate sources, from very different sources, and do interesting things with them, uh, I think Rhea expands on that. But it's... The hope is, and unfortunately I get clients who talk to me, oh, I want to take my Fox Pro app and I'm going to make the complete leap from Fox Pro to Silverlight, and that's that's rarely the right thing. Or I want to take my, all my internal uh, um, um, apps or my accounting system and make them Silverlight. I'm afraid, Sean, you have the last word today. I'd like to thank the panel, Miguel Castro, Todd Anglin, Sean Wildermuth, and uh, Steve Smith, Mark Dunn, my co-host here. Thank you, guys. Thanks, man. And thank you, Bulgaria. Thank you, Bulgaria. You rock! We'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. Yes, I 